All right. Hey, uh, what did I tell you where to turn your Bible to? All right. Turn to Psalms uh, tonight, chapter 119, page number 660. And if you'll just join me there, I want to just read another portion of this great chapter in our Bible and use it as a springboard to jump into the message again for this evening. Psalms, chapter 119. And you will know that this is the longest chapter out of the 1,189 chapters of our Bible. This is the longest chapter in the Bible. And, uh, and it deals entirely with the Word of God, God and His Word. And, of course, we've been majoring on the Word of God in these Wednesday evening services recently, and we'll get back into that tonight. Psalms chapter 119, I'm in verse 105, Psalms 119, 105. If you've been around church any amount of time, you quote this verse, I'm sure. But let me read it to you, and we'll, let, let's pray, and then I'll read it. Father, bless your word tonight, and help us teach us something about the Bible, and just help us from the word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalms 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Accept, I beseech thee, the free will offerings of my mouth. O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. Now, the three truths that jump out to me, uh, jump out at me from this particular portion of God's Word is in verse number 105, where we find the Word of God, number one, will guide us. It will guide us. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light under my path. The Word of God provides guidance for us as we live in a very dark culture, in a very spiritually dark world. Thank God we have our Bible that lights and illuminates the path. As we, as we trudge along for God, we have the Bible that gives us direction and guides us in this dark world. But not only does the Word of God guide us, but the Word of God also guards us. Look again at verse, 10, uh, verse 110. I, the wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. You see, the same Bible that guides us is the same Bible that also guards us. If we will listen to the Word of God, if we will obey the Word of God, we won't destroy or mess up our life. The wicked are all about us. They're encouraging us, enticing us. Let me use a Bible word. They are provoking us to do that which is wrong in the sight of God, to do that which would mess our lives up and destroy our lives. And yet, if we set all that aside and we focus on listening to to the Word of God, the, the Bible, the Word of God will also guard us. It'll keep us from doing that which is wrong. But then the Word of God not only guides us and guards us, the Word of God also gladdens us. Look at verse 111. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are, now notice, the rejoicing of my heart. You see, when you and I do the will of God and we obey the Word of God, the end result of that is rejoicing 
something in our heart. When we break God's word, we disobey God's will, the end result is grief in our heart. If we're genuinely saved, it brings grief to us. But as we seek daily to obey God and to walk in the light of his word, and as we, as we stay out of the path of the wicked and heed the word of God, it'll bring a certain happiness and gladness to our lives. Well, I've told you recently that Psalms 119 really is nothing more than a, an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. So what the writer of Psalms 119 did, whether it was Moses or whoever it was, what they did is they took a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and then they started a, a portion of this text with that particular letter. There are 22 different portions to Psalms 119, 22 different letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and he went down through there and used a letter and began that portion of this chapter with that particular letter. Well, it got me to thinking, finding out about all that, why not use our English alphabet and just kind of break the Bibles down, our Bible down word by word and share with our people some important words that we ought to know as the people of God. So we're once again in the series of sermons that I've been preaching, Bible words every child of God should know. Now last week, if you remember, we were on the letter, or was it last week, maybe week before last, whatever it was, we were on the letter R last time. And I told you some of the great words in our Bible that begin with the letter R are the words remnant. Boy, that's an important word. Boy, I want to be identified with that remnant that still loves God, still loves the Bible, still wants the old time way. I want to be a part of that remnant. Then we talked about the, another R word, the word religion. Then we talked about the word repentance. And then we talked about the word ransom. All of those are good Bible words that begin with the letter R. Now tonight we move to the 19th letter of our English alphabet, and we come to the letter S. Now really, to my surprise, there were only three books in our Bible that began with the letter S. Two of them, or all of them, are in the Old Testament. And the three books of our Bible that begin with the letter S are 1st and 2nd Samuel and the book of the Song of Solomon. So we only have three books in our Bible which begin with the letter S. As far as people in our Bible, we start with the men. There are some very prominent men of the Bible whose name starts with the letter S. For instance, we read only the first three or four chapters in our Bible, and we run into the first man that, whose name begins with the letter S, and his name is Seth. He is the third born son of Adam and Eve. Oh, Seth, the name means appointed. And then we read over a few other chapters in the book of Genesis, and we come to the, uh, to the second born son of Jacob, or the nation of Israel. His name is Simeon. You may remember that Simeon and Levi got together after their daughter Dinah had been seduced by a Canaanite prince, and boy, they went up and, and killed a whole town and murdered a whole town, Simeon and Levi. And, and then we talk about, think about Seth and Simeon, but we couldn't, we couldn't mention S words, S men in the Bible without mentioning Samson the 13th judge of the nation of Israel, and a man who literally self-destructed, Samson. And then we run across a man by the name of Samuel. Remember I told you that Samuel is the Billy Graham before there was a Billy Graham. Billy Graham was known as the, pre as the uh, preacher, the pastor of the presidents while he was alive. Well, Samuel was the 
was the pastor of the first two kings of the nation of Israel. Samuel, a great man in our Bible. Then one of those kings' name was Saul. Remember? The first king of the nation of Israel, a man by the name of Saul. Then there's the third king. His name was Solomon. And then as we come across into the New Testament, we read about a man by the name of Silas, the companion of the apostle Paul. And then there was several Simons that are mentioned in our New Testament. There's Simon Peter, Simon of serene and Simon who lived down in the land of Samaria. And then of course how can you talk about S, S names in the Bible without mentioning old Saul who became the apostle Paul. Saul. We remember Saul. And then there is one of my favorite people in the Bible and we don't think about him a whole lot but his name is Stephanus. Oh, that we would have some Stephanuses in these days. Here's what the Bible says about Stephanus. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. What about that? Here is an old boy, and the Bible said he was the first fruits of Achaia. So evidently he was one of the very first people that got saved from the, from the province of Achaia. And the Bible said when he got saved, he was so enthused, so in love with Jesus, so in love with the church that he addicted himself. Boy, what about that? Boy, we read about people today who are addicted to, uh, to prescription drugs and we read about people that are addicted to pornography and they're addicted to, uh, to food and they're addicted to whatever. But boy, wouldn't it be wonderful to get some people once again that were addicted to the ministry. Stephanus, what a great man he must have been. There are 16 ladies in our Bible whose name begins with the letter S. Some of the one, uh, more notable ones are Sarah, the wife of Abraham and mother of Isaac. There are two Salomes that are mentioned in our Bible. There was the Salome who was the daughter of Herodias. You say, who was Herodias? Herodias was the live-in lover of old Herod. He was really, she was really, Herodias was really Herod's brother's wife. And Herod stole his brother's wife away and she moved in with Herod. Remember the story? Boy, it sounds like modern day, doesn't it? It sounds like something you'd watch on TV at prime time at night. So he stole his brother's wife away. She had a daughter by the name of Salome. And remember, boy, Herodias hated the preacher, John the Baptist, because John the Baptist went up and stuck his finger in the face of old King Herod and said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You're not right with God living with your brother's wife. It's what old John the Baptist said. So Salome sent her daughter Herodias, Herodias sent her daughter Salome to dance before old Herod on his birthday. And all oh, the gyrations of her body, incited so the passion and lust of old Herod that he said, hey, whatever you want, even to the half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. She said, you can keep all of that. Give me the head of the Baptist preacher on a charger. And I tell you, bless your heart, from that day to this, no Baptist preacher's got any business around dancing. Now, I know, I know, we're, I'm treading on thin ice right here. But I tell you, bless your heart, people don't want to get married in church no more because they know they can't dance in church. And so they want to go off to some venue, and then they say, Preacher, come over here and marry. And I do. But bless your heart, I hightail it out of there before they start that dancing. Because the last Baptist preacher got around dancing, they cut his head off. And I ain't getting around that stuff. There is Salome, the Salome 
Uh, and then there's Salome, the wife of Zebedee, the proud mother of James and John. There's a lady in our New Testament by the name of Sapphira, who was the wife of Ananias, who died before her time because she lied to the Holy Ghost. And then there's an old girl in our Bible by the name of Sintiki. Look at this one. Paul said, I beseech Iotus and beseech Sintiki that they be of the same mind uh, in the Lord. Evidently, these two ladies couldn't get along in the church of Philippi. And Paul said, I just tell you two ladies need to get in one mind and one accord and stop you arguing all the time. I beseech you to be in the same mind. There's some prominent places in our Bible that begin with the letter S. There's Sodom, God help us. There's Samaria. There's a couple of churches in our Bible who begins, whose name begins with the letter S. It was a church in the city of Smyrna and also a church in the city of Sardis. Once again, I found out that most of the words in our Bible that begin with the letter S are either the names of people or the names of places. But have no fear. I have strung together enough words to make a message out of them. So here are some great words in our Bible that begin with the letter S that you and I really need to be acquainted with as we live out these last days. Now, you know I've tried to stay away from the, the, the more simpler words, or I've tried to anyway. You know, the, the more obvious words. Right now, you're probably thinking about sin. Boy, that is a great word in our Bible. That begins with the letter S. We all got a problem with sin. Boy, there's a great word called salvation. Boy, that's a great word. What about Savior? Oh, brother, thank God for the Savior. But I've tried to stay away from some of those more obvious words. So the first word I want to talk about tonight is this one right here. I want to talk about the word Sabbath. Let's think a little bit about the word Sabbath. What does that mean, the word Sabbath? Well, the word Sabbath, or some form of it, appears 148 times in the Bible. And the name or the word Sabbath simply means to rest, as in resting from labor. Now, let me tell you something. The whole concept of the Sabbath actually began in the mind of God. It was God who first initiated and instituted from the very dawn of creation a Sabbath day. Let me read it to you. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 2, And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all of His work which He had made. And the next verse said, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it He had rested from all of His work which God created and made. Now, of course, we know later on the seventh day became known in our Old Testament as the Sabbath day. Now, there are two reasons why there was a Sabbath day. The first reason was this. It was to be a day from work. A day from work. Now, we read in our text those verses that I just read about a moment ago that God ended His work on the seventh day, and He rested from His Work. Now, there's something that you and I need to understand about God, and that's simply this. When he was resting on the seventh day, he wasn't resting because he was tired from creating the world. You know, the Bible tells us this about our God, that our God doesn't get tired. The Bible said, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? Oh, brother, our God does not get tired or grow weary. Can I tell you something about our God? He could created, have created a billion worlds like the one we live on and much larger and never broke a sweat in the process. God never needs to take a nap. 
He's not getting old. He's not on nerve medication. He's not drinking Maalox, popping Tagamin, and eating Pepto-Bismol pills. No, sir, he is just as fresh and just as, just as new as he's always been, and he never, ever needs to sit down to catch his breath. That's the God you and I serve. The rest that God took for him was not for himself. It was for us. You see, God was wanting to say something to mankind. And way back in the very creation of this earth, God established a principle. God laid down a practice that he wanted mankind to follow in, and that principle that was established was this. God was saying that mankind needs to take one day a week off from work for the purpose of resting. Now, one of the first things that God, that God did to, to teach us in the Bible, that God didn't create man not to work. You and I were created to work. Can I tell you that? God never intended for anybody to lay around and be a lazy bum. God intended for us to work. God laid that principle down from the very dawn of creation. God never created man without giving that man a job. When he created Adam, his purpose for Adam was to get in the garden to till it, to look after things in the, in the garden. God intended for man to work. Look at this verse right here, Exodus 20, verse 9. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. God intended for us to work. You know, I never have read anywhere in the Bible where God created a hammock. Never have read that in the Bible. And behind the principle of rest is the principle of work. One of the problems that's going on in our, in our nation tonight that is economically ruining this country and is an injustice to every working person in America is that our country uh, hands out welfare to subsidize people, subsidize people who can work, but they won't work. We are digging ourselves a hole that we're not going to be able to get out of. The people who can work and do work are having to subsidize a bunch of sorry, lazy, good-for-nothing class of people that ought to get out and go to work, but they won't work. And in these days in which you and I live, it is amazing when you drive by Wednesdays, Wednesdays they got help wanted signs out and a $500 signing bonus to go to work at Wendy's. They are starving for people to work. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I, boy, I think if a man is physically unable to work, Buddy, I tell you, bless your heart, I think they ought to get all that they can. If, they, if their body is broken down and, or for, they were born with an abnormality and they cannot work, I am for helping people who cannot work. But bless your heart, I'm about up to here with people who can work but won't work and they constantly got their hand out, wanting a hand out, thinking they're entitled to something. Yes, sir. When it comes to people who won't work, who can work, I stand with God in God's corner. They ought to starve. I didn't say it. God said it. Look right here. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, I've got a real, I, and I do, I told you Sunday morning, I'm a sucker for a sob story. And I do, I have before, and I know I will again. But these people that stand at the stop sign, sometimes I'll pull up there and they look so pitiful. And I'll go over to Chick-fil-A and I'll get them something to eat, bring it back over and drop it off. Or I'll go to Krispy Kreme Donuts and get them a, a, a big old cup of donut holes and a cup of coffee and carry it to them. I did back when it was cold some. But I tell you, bless your heart right now with all these help wanted signs up. I'm finding it hard to stop and give people stuff anymore. 
I mean, buddy, if you want a job, man, look around you. I mean, there are job help wanted signs everywhere. In fact, I'm telling you, we can't find enough people who do, who do want to work in our day. I mean, we're struggling with that right now. But God is saying, all right, work, work. You got six days. Do your work. But now don't you forget, you need to take a day off from work. You may be somewhat like the Egyptian mummy that I read about, walked into a restaurant, and the waitress said, can I get you anything? He said, no, I just come in here to unwind. And can I tell you something? Man, we all need to get a place once in a while to just unwind. And at the very beginning, God established a principle that we are to take one day a week off for physical rest and physical restoration. Now, if you don't think God was serious about that, let me read you this verse. Exodus chapter 30, verse 15. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoso doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. I tell you what, bless your heart, God was serious about taking the day off. God was serious about establishing a day from work. But can I say this? Not only was the a Sabbath as a day established from work, it was a day established for worship. For worship. Say that with me. For worship. From work. For worship. God intended for us to take at least one-seventh of all of our days and worship Him. Do nothing but set things aside and just worship Him. You see, it's not only a physical reason behind the Sabbath day, hey, relax one day, but there's also a spiritual reason, and that's this, worship God. I read you that verse, Exodus 20, verse number 9, where God said, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But then look right here. For in six days the Lord made heaven, earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rest of the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He made it a holy, a holy, a holy day. The Sabbath, ladies and gentlemen, was a, a hallowed day for worship. There is to be one day a week when God was to be worshipped by his people. Now, I know, I get it. I'm like you. I've read through the book of Acts. I found out with the death and burial, the resurrection of our Savior, that day has now changed. We as the church no longer worship on the Sabbath day. We worship on the first day of the week. We worship on the Lord's day. Every time we gather together, uh, we, we celebrate the fact that our Savior is no longer dead. On the Sabbath day, He was dead. He was in the tomb. But on the morning of the first day of the week, He got up out of the tomb, resurrected from the grave. And every time we gather together on the Lord's day, we worship the fact that our Savior is not a mummy. He's a living Lord. That's what we do on the, on the Lord's day. There was a transition that took place in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a transition. And you'll find them in that book. They're, they're, they're at, at, start, at the start of that book, they're meeting in the temple on the Sabbath day. And then we find them a little bit later, and now they're meeting at church and on, on the first day, and then they, they go back to meeting in the temple on the Sabbath day. And it's back and forth. It's a transition period. 
like, uh, like going from winter to spring. Have you ever noticed, uh, you know, I, on the first day of spring, but then those early days of spring has a lot of characteristics just like winter? There's a transition going on. You know, you can't tell, man, is it winter time still or is it springtime? There's a transition. There's a back and forth going over. But let me tell you something, brother. On over toward the end of the book of Acts, you'll find the church meeting in the church, the Christians meeting in the church, not in the temple, and they're meeting on the Lord's Day. We no longer worship on the Sabbath day. You and I gather on the Lord's Day for worship. But the principle is still the same. Do all your work Monday through Saturday. Mow your yard. Wash your car. Paint your house, do your laundry, uh, 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 feed the dog, whatever, whatever you do. Six days work, but on the Lord's day, that's a day that we rest, rest from our work, and we and we and we gather together for worship in the house of God. I'm not trying to preach you back under the law. I'm just telling you, man. The reason that lost people have lost their respect for the Lord's day is because so many of God's people have lost their respect for the Lord's day. Man, they pass by the saved people's houses. They're out there mowing their yard and washing their car. God said six days labor. How many of y'all are with me on this? Six days work, six days labor. But there's one day that nothing's supposed to be done outside of worshiping the Lord. And I don't think God's ever deviated from that. Let me tell you what the, let me tell you what the point I'm trying to make is. Go to church on Sunday. God demands it. You say, well, why are we here on Wednesday? Because he deserves our Wednesdays. Amen, the Sabbath. What a, what a great Bible word, Sabbath. Second of all, watch this. Not only is there the word Sabbath, but boy, there's another good Bible word, sovereign. Oh, let me tell you something. People get a little fidgety when you start talking about the sovereignty of God because so many times that word is equated. It's, uh, it's used so much by the Calvinist sovereignty of God that it actually makes us a little bit nervous when the preacher starts talking about the sovereignty of God. Now, i got to make a confession. i got to make a confession. Number one, I like red velvet Pop-Tarts. And number two, the word sovereign is not found in the Bible. It's not there. But did you know the word Bible is not found in the Bible either? But what do we call this book? We call it the Bible. So just because the word is not there doesn't mean the truth is not there. And the word sovereign simply means, uh, it means one who possesses supreme power. Another, one, uh, another dictionary said this, the word sovereign means one who possesses undisputable, unrivaled, unquestioned power. But if I don't describe our God, I don't know what does. I do believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God's power is undisputable. I believe His power is unrivaled. I believe his, his power is unquestioned. God has all power, and God can simply do what God wants to do. God is big enough and strong enough and wise enough to do what He wants to do, and He don't have to ask my permission to do it, and neither does He yours. And He sure unto God don't need to get President Biden's permission to do it or anybody up there in Washington. God can do what God wants to do because He is a sovereign God. Now, i got to confess, I, I don't understand all of God's workings. I really don't. I don't understand all of God's ways. I really don't. But aren't you glad, of God, aren't you glad we got a God that we can't explain? Aren't you glad that we got a God that you can't put on a, a slide and stick it under a microscope and look down through there and say, yep, that's God. 
Aren't you glad that we got a God that you can't zero in on him with a telescope? I mean, God is so big. God is so powerful. He can do what he wants to do. And just let me say this, whatever he does do, beyond my understanding, but it's right. God's never had an uh-oh moment. God's never said, whoops, my bad. God's never had a uh-oh. Hey, God knows what he's doing, and God doesn't have to get our permission to do it. He's always right. Can I give you a good verse? I don't understand his ways, but look at this right here. My thoughts, God said, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. He goes on to say, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher. I promise you this, down here, I don't understand what God's doing. Sometimes I think, personally, and this is just me, and Lord, you forgive me, but I think personally, sometimes God's taking the wrong ones. If I was God, I'd be leaving some of these, and I tell him all the time, Lord, if you need a list... I give you a list, Lord. You're taking the wrong ones. Let me tell you something that needs to be took out from down here. But his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my... You know what? He's a sovereign God. But always remember that the sovereignty of God never oversteps the responsibility of man. You see, even though he's sovereign and he can do whatever he wants to and has the power, God will never step over the will of a human being and force himself upon anyone. The sovereignty of God will never ever step over the line of the responsibility of men. God will present himself. God will plead with people. God will invite people and woo people and draw people. But that man, that woman, that boy, that girl, that teenager has a responsibility to make a choice them own selves. Sovereign. Sabbath? Sovereign. Look at this next word, stronghold. The word stronghold. Did you know really the word stronghold only appears one time in our Bible? Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what in the world is a stronghold. Well, I think there's a clue in that verse, if y'all put that back up there for just a minute, because we read weapons, warfare, and then strongholds. The clue to that, to finding out what a stronghold is, is evidently is it has something to do with warfare. Because we read about weapons and we read, read about warfare. It's also important for me to point this out to you, that Paul is not writing to a bunch of Unbelievers, he's writing to the church of Corinth, a bunch of Christians, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of uh, believing, professing believers. He's writing to a congregation, a fellowship of church people. And he's exhorting those people. Uh, he's, he's encouraging those people to, to, uh, to uh, engage, to be aware of the fact that there is something called spiritual warfare going on. Putting all that together, I think what we come to understand is a stronghold is something that has to do with the warfare in the life of believers. You do understand that now that you're saved, you're in a battle. You're in a war. Every day of our life, as we try to live for God, there are forces that we cannot see, that we cannot touch, that are resisting us. We take one step toward God, they try to push us two steps back. We are in a spiritual warfare. A stronghold then is a place that has been captured and fortified that is used to attack other areas. 
a stronghold. And we don't, we don't use that word much anymore. So let me use this word, beachhead. Let me tell you what happened. One of the greatest days of World War II was June the 6th, 1944. There may be some people in here that actually were alive that day and remember that day, but that was the day that was called D-Day. And that was the day that the Allied forces attacked the beaches of Omaha and Juneau and Gold and Utah and soared beaches on the shores of Normandy. And the reason that they attacked those beaches was to get a beachhead, to drive out the enemy. But to drive out that enemy, they had to, they had to gain a foothold or a stronghold, or a beachhead. And once they got that beachhead, they drove the Germans back, the resistance back, far enough for them to establish a beachhead. Then they could start attacking them from that captured ground that they'd got from the Germans. Now what all that has to do with us is this. When we get saved by the grace of God, Jesus moves in and kicks the devil out. Aren't you glad for that? Our heart is not like a duplex where Jesus can live on one side and the devil can live on the other side. Aren't you glad that when he comes in, buddy, he comes in and kicks the devil out? That's the reason there's such a, an immediate, most of the time, and dramatic change in people's lives. I mean, man, there's, uh, there, that person is now operating under new management. I mean, it's, it's a, a, new, a new manager has moved in in the person of our Savior. And that's the reason the changes are made. And they stop doing this and they start doing that. But if we aren't careful over time, we will allow the devil just a little place in our life just a little area. That's the reason Paul said in Ephesians 4, 27, neither give place to the devil. That's the reason, and I know you get tired of me saying this, but if you'll quit doing it, I'll quit preaching against it. Pornography. When you open your heart to pornography, you are giving the devil a stronghold, a beachhead in your life. And, he, and it, may, it may just be a small place, but he'll use that small place to attack other places in your heart and in your life until first thing you know, your whole life has been ruined. Your whole life. You can't even think pure thoughts anymore because your whole life has been ruined because you gave him a stronghold, a beachhead in your life. And he's using that to launch an attack on other parts of your life. First thing you know, your whole life has messed up. That's the reason we can't give place to the devil. That's the reason that if we do, it won't be long until he'll eventually capture more territory and more territory and we'll become a POW of the devil. We'll become a prisoner of war. Too many of us have given ground. It doesn't have to be pornography. It could be some music that you're listening to, some program that you're watching on TV, and you give the devil that little spot to work in your life, and he moves in, and then he begins to attack other areas of your life. And before long, if you aren't careful, he is so moved back into your life that your life becomes a real mess. Come on. Strongholds. We've got to break those strongholds down. Our weapons of our warfare. What are our weapons? The Word of God is our weapon. 
What are our weapons? The blood of Jesus, the word of our testimony, prayer, fasting, all of those are weapons that we come against that stronghold that the devil's tried to build in our life and we come against that. And the Bible said that our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down, the breaking down, the, uh, the, 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 the deteriorating of those strongholds. We can break them down, but you can only do it through the word of God. Prayer, fasting, the blood of Jesus, the word of our testimony. Those are things that we have to use to tear down the strongholds in our life. You got any strongholds? You got any places in your heart that you've surrendered to the devil? But you better get rid of that because I'm telling you, you, what's the old saying? You give him an inch, you'll become a ruler. We have to be careful. Stronghold, last word is this. And this is the simple one. But what about the word servant? The word servant. You know, in the New Testament, when you read, and by the way, that word's used over 900 times in the Bible, but when you read about it in the New Testament, almost every time, it's a word, D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. And it is a direct reference to the Old Testament bond slave. Now, let me tell you the story and we're done. So a bond slave in the Old Testament was a person that had got into trouble. Either they had maxed out their credit cards, hello, is this thing on? They had maxed out their credit cards, gone into debt, and they couldn't pay. Or else they got caught up in some kind of crime, and, uh, they, and they got caught, and they couldn't recompense, recompense. So they were sold. They were auctioned off, and the money taken to help put on the, the debt that they had incurred. They then become the property of their master, and they had to serve him for six years. At the end of those six years, or the Sabbath year, the seventh year, they were free to go. They could just leave. If they came in with nothing, they went out with nothing. If while they were there and they had a family, got married and had a family, they could leave, but the family had to stay behind. But at the end of six years, that bond slave was faced with a choice. Did he want to stay or did he want to go? Well, if he had a good master, if he had a master that had been good to him, he could choose to stay with that master forever. So he had to come before the judges and he had to say this, I love my master. I will not go out free from him. And he had to say that publicly in front of the judges of the town. And then they'd take that old boy and they would back him up to the doorpost of the master's house. And they would take an awl and they would lay his ear. I, I don't know, I, I don't think this is where we got all these piercings at, but they would take his ear and they would take an awl and they would, they would put it up there and they would hammer it through that ear. And that old boy for a while was attached to the door of the master's house. Can I tell you something? I was just a slave. I was in debt. I couldn't pay it. Well, one day, one stepped out of the crowd and said, I'll take him. I'll pay his debt. I tell you, he's been a good master to me. My life was a wreck before I ever met him. I was heading down, a, I was heading down the wrong road fast, but he came by, purchased me to be his own. Sure has been good to me. Can I just say, like the Old Testament bond slave, I love my master. I will not go out free. I, I tell you, he's been so good to me, I think I'll just stay here forever. So I'll tell you what they did. They backed me up against the door of the master's house and drove an awl in my ear. And can I tell you, ever since that time, I've been attached to the door 
of the master's house. <laughs> I, wish, I wish some people would get attached to the door. I remember when people used to be attached to the door. <laughs> I mean, every time the doors were open, they were stuck to it. You remember that? Something going on at the church, they was nailed to it. They were attached to the door of the master. I just want to say he's been a good master. He is a good master. I'm just this little old slave, little old servant. But I want you all to know I love my master. I'm not going to go anywhere. And I've been nailed to the door. Talk about getting nailed. I got nailed to the door of the master's house. Servant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these good S words.